Hello there and welcome. Gary Cook here, and this is my first series of podcasts with Senior Times. Now, you may know me from Apre Match, but now I'm a poacher turned gamekeeper because I'm going to be interviewing some of Ireland's most interesting sports stars. My guest today is quite simply a colossus of the game of football. It is a great privilege and pleasure to introduce John Giles. Thank you very much, Gary. So, uh, John, in preparation for this, I mean, I grew up obviously watching you and, uh, and, and listening to you and so on as, a, as, a, as an analyst as well. But I've read uh, your book very recently and one thing I was struck by is a very interesting chapter, the very first chapter called The Gift. Yeah. Uh, and I wanted to ask you about this. Uh, obviously about the gift of football, but also you knew from a very young age that you had a gift for football. Isn't that true? Yes. Yeah, I was very lucky, Gary. I, co- I considered two gifts. I had a gift to be able to play football at a certain level. And when I was very, very young, I realized I had a gift, which was the second gift, because a lot of players and a lot of people, and I don't want to meet sanctimonious here, uh, footballers I know who, who were very, very talented lads, who lost their way and didn't make the best of their talent. So uh, I felt when I was young, I had an obligation to the talent. Um, I, again, that sounds a little bit sanctimonious, but that's what I felt. And I was very lucky uh, to, to have a gift, first of all, to play, but to realize that I had a gift. No, it doesn't sound sanctimonious at all, John. It sounds really very honest. And uh, I, I was taken by a book that, you know, that quite literally you started kicking the bouncer. That was a, a ball that you, you had, a kind of rubber ball. Uh, and you were playing from uh, sort of the age of three. Well, well, first of all, though, I had a... Um, my grandfather used, was my pal, my big pal when I, was, when I was only a kid. And he used to take me out playing out in, outside a house in Norman Square with a little uh, a, a sort of a tennis ball. And uh, I was only three at that time, but I could I could kick the ball the way it should be kicked. And that's what I, that's what I started playing just for enjoyment. Because obviously, when you're that age, you're not you don't have any thoughts about being a professional footballer or a footballer at all. It was just the enjoyment of kicking the ball, and that's where I started sure. with my grandfather. And then when I got older, with my pals and and, and that we used to go out because in those days, this, oh, this was in the forties. There was in Norman Square it was ideal for playing football because in those days. None of the neighbours had cars or anything, so you could play on one of the four sides of the square uh, with our pals. And we played with a bouncer at that stage, Gary, which was a rubber ball about twice the size of a tennis ball. So I'd say that ball was not the easiest ball to control, so you would have learned your skills very, very early on. Yeah, well, I was lucky again in that sense because when I was playing with, with my pals in the square, obviously it was harder to control uh, or certainly easier to control a football when you got older and played with a football than the rubber ball. And uh, sure. it was like looking back on it, like when I was a kid playing in Ormond Square with all my pals with the rubber ball, uh, it was actually ideal uh, for learning to become a professional footballer because if you, if you could control the, 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 the small rubber ball, then when you got to play with a bigger ball, it was much easier to control. So it was a perfect situation to learn to be a footballer. I got the basic skills of being a footballer, playing in Ormond sure. Square with my pals. 
Yeah, I, it's what, you know, uh, Eamon uh, and Eamon Dunphy, that is, and uh, obviously, and uh, Liam Brady talk about like this, um, and yourself talk about, you know, being a street footballer and so on. Yeah. And, uh, that this is, this is, you know, I know Eamon has talked before about, you know, such and such a goal was, you know, that was learned on the streets and so on. So this is, this is really your, your kind of, uh, not just your introduction, but a huge grounding in, in football and how to play and so on. Yeah. This was a great place for you to yeah. do it. Well, it couldn't have been better, Gary. You know, you couldn't yeah. have picked it out better because my pals and I, see, in those days, this is, go, go, go back to the 40s, there was no television, there was no radio, and there was nothing to keep you in the house. Yeah, there was the house was a bit crowded anyway. So like when when in your holidays or when you go back from school, your mother said, "Out you go," and all my pals were in the same boat. We all we all had something to do. So we we got one ball between us, which could keep about what eight, uh, twelve, fourteen of us happy and out of trouble as well, uh, which was another <laughs> element of it. Uh, we played football from morning till night, and that was that was yeah. that was just pure enjoyment. Yeah, and uh, tell me a little bit about your your dad, Dickie. Uh, he was uh, a player and a manager, uh, yeah. and you he very much kind of mentored your early career. Tell me a little bit about him, John. Well, well, you you could you'd get a better book out of Dickie than you would out of me, to be honest. <laughs> with, 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 he he sounds a, like he, a man with a big personality. Yeah, huge, huge. <laughs> and uh, uh, actually, my, my father and I were, were chalk and cheese. I was I was more like my mother than my father, but I, but he was a great influence to me on the football, Gary. He had a very, very good knowledge of the game. Uh, he, he, he wouldn't be impressed by anybody. Now, in those days, if anybody spoke with an English accent, then they were supposed to know everything. But he, he'd, he'd no, he'd no uh, uh, regard for that at all. He had his own views on football, which were very, very good for me when I was a young fella. Uh, and why they were good to me? Because when I went to England when I was 15 to Manchester United, you're not, you're not dealing with Matt Busby and Jimmy Murphy at that age. I was playing in the yeah. juniors, which was the fifth team. Now, you're dealing with people with, with respect to them. They didn't know much about football. And if you're dealing with people at that age when I was 15 and you don't know much about football, they can put you, certainly put you in the wrong direction. Whereas I had a good grounding with my father mm. uh, in, in the basics of football. He was really, really very, very good. So when I went to England, if somebody was telling me something was wrong, I knew I knew it was wrong, uh, Gary. So, but he was a great influence on me altogether on football. He's a very very good knowledge of the game, and uh, it, it, it was a great grounding again for me. Okay, and in in your book, uh, you talk a lot about you know going away with uh, his teams, uh, teams he managed, uh, going down to going around the country, and you travel with the team and the coach, and you got a real sense of what it was to actually be around footballers and 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 how they prepare and uh, just generally the community of football. Yeah, well, I was very young at that stage, uh, Gary. He's manager of Drumcondra, which were a very very mm. good team. Mm. Uh, League of Ireland team at that time with Kit Lawler and Desi Glynn and uh, all these terrific players were terrific players when I was a kid well they were terrific players so first one I did was Dundalk I uh, travelled in the bus and watched the match and come home and and, and go to Cork as well uh, where I'd sleep all the way home from the bus but in those yeah. days it was funny in those days Gary with the League of Ireland with my father and that and all those lads when they played in Cork they could kick lumps out of each other but after the match not like today where they come straight home They'd go out, have a few jars with the opposition in Cork, and they they they'd, uh, they wouldn't get on back on the bus until half ten, and then they'd have yeah. a couple of crates of beer on the bus and they'd sing all the <laughs> way home because it took a long time. 
Okay, so you had a really good grounding in in, in all aspects of it uh, from from a very young age. Yeah. The, the technicalities of the game, the knowledge, and and also the community uh, of it. Uh, yeah. John, just you talk about your mother there, uh, Kate. You you mentioned to me uh, a couple of things uh, uh, in your book about your, your mother and your grandmother. You, your mother yeah. was uh, very amazingly uh, at Croke Park on the day of Bloody Sunday. Yeah, she, she, well, my mother and my grandmother were, were dealers. She used to call them dealers. They would be yeah. apples and oranges and chocolates to the match. And my mother, I think, was <clears throat> was was a very nice looking woman. And she could get into the the, the, the ground. Some t- grounds you weren't allowed into. Uh, and she got she, yeah, she was in there on on, on um, uh, Bloody Sunday in Croke Park. Yeah, luckily enough, an, luck, luckily enough, yeah. kept out of trouble. Yeah, it must have been an yeah, it must have been an incredible thing though for somebody to actually carry that around with them, uh, and you, you'd certainly never have got, got a got a sense of it uh, from ever having heard you know in your many interviews that I, I'd never heard that, and then uh, I, I saw it in your book, and I was I was really quite quite shocked by it. Yeah. Um, I, and you, you talk a, a, as well a little bit about life in Norman Square when you were it was it was tough enough. Uh, you describe it in your in your book. You sort of uh, describe that sometimes it was difficult for your mother just to you know at times the, the the stress of looking after all the people. I mean, there was nine people in your house, wasn't that right? Yeah, there was was mother and father, five kids. I mean, mother, my grandfather and grandmother lived with us uh, when the, at that particular stage. Yeah. Uh, so we were pretty pretty crowded, and it was it was difficult. It was it was difficult for a lot of mothers in those days. Uh, Gary, mm. because my father, like like most fathers, would be out for the rest of the day, and in the evening would probably be in the, go around to the pub. Well, yeah. most times anyway. Uh, so <laughs> your mother, the, the women in those days were left to look after the kids. In my case, it was looked after a mother and father, uh, and and the five kids in the crowd in the mm. crowded area. So when when I said it was a difficult time, I didn't mean it was a difficult time for me in Norman Square. It was de- certainly difficult difficult times for my mother. Because uh, you know, my father sometimes, like most most men, weren't employed. Uh, you know, money was money was pretty scarce, mm. uh, and the, the mother had the the burden all the time of looking after the kids and and certainly after her parents as well. So it was very very difficult. Okay, so your uh, your dad, Dickie, uh, tells you one day uh, that that Manchester United uh, are interested in you. At that stage, you were playing for Stella Maris, isn't that right? Um, no, I was, I was playing for a, for a team called the Leprechauns at that stage. Ah, right, okay. So I, was, I, I spent my last, uh, that was when I was 14. I went to Manchester United for a month when I was 14. And the following year, I was playing for Stella Maris and went uh, uh, permanently at that stage. So when I was 14, I was actually playing, that was my father's team at that time. And, and he was fr- friendly, uh, had been for years, with another football man called Billy Bean, who was a yeah. scout for Manchester United. So what what they were doing in those, for me anyway in those days, um, I, I was known as a good player as a schoolboy, and there'd be a couple of clubs interested. So they 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 said Billy Bean sent me over to Manchester for a month when I was fourteen, and you could only you could only move permanently till you were until you were fifteen. Sure. But what they were doing they was they were they were tying you up. I, I wanted to go to Manchester United anyway. Uh, yeah, because you were a Jackie, fan of Manchester United. Well, Jackie, Jackie Carey was yes, yeah. I was a big fan, mainly because Jackie Carey, who was a great yeah. Irish player, captain Ireland and captain Manchester United. You know, they won the cup in 1948. So sure. I was I, from a distance. This was, I mean, I would know the team, but I, I think they only played once 
in Dublin. So you didn't see them, no television or anything in those days. So I, I, was, I was a Manchester United fan from, from a distance. So Billy Bean was friendly with my father and had watched me playing in the schools boys and, and set me over, to, over at uh, 14 for a month. And then the following year, when I was 15, I went over permanently when I was playing for Stella Maris. Okay, and I mean, it sounds to me uh, that you that there was a sense of destiny in in your your view of this because when you describe the day you went over, uh, you I think you described it in a documentary. I saw that this is pretty much you know w w one of the great days of your life to be going over, whereas a lot of other lads would already be feeling a bit homesick in the boat. But you had a very different attitude. No, well, I was only when, when I was going over fourteen, Gary. I was only going over for 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 a month. Uh, so it was okay. I think when it hits you, if, uh, homesick is when you when you go over at fifteen, which I did. I was in digs with Jackie Hennessy, another Dublin lad who 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 had played in the, the Scuba International team. We went we were in digs together. Uh, now, when you go into digs on a permanent basis, it, it's not easy. Gary. Yeah. You know, first of all, you 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 don't get you don't get as much food as you would want when you're when you're that age. But it, it was it wasn't. But I, 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 my, I remember my father saying to me at Christmas, do you want to come home? And I said, no. No, no. There was, you, I felt anyway, I think a lot of kids would feel the same. You'd put up with anything, Gary. If you wanted to, you know, I wanted to be a footballer. So yeah. whether I was homesick or, homes, or not homesick, or, it didn't matter. You had to do it. And that was it. If you wanted to be a footballer and you wanted it badly enough, then that, that's, that's what I felt anyway. And that's what I did. And you're, on the day you went over uh, uh, proper, as it were, on, on the boat, didn't your, didn't your mum sew uh, a pound into, your, into, your, into the lapel of your jacket? Yeah, no, that was the previous year when I was going over at 14. And it's funny with Manchester United. I mean, they didn't always throw the money around, Gary. Like, I, when I look back on it, instead of flying me over when I was 14, they sent me over on the boat on my own. So okay. my mother put a, put a pound in my, in my pocket and, and luckily enough, I had a cabin. But, but the amazing thing was, I had to, like, get off the boat at Liverpool. I had to make my way to Manchester. You know, so I had to find the station, get up, going with And the only time I got scared was, was about 10 minutes before getting into Manchester because they had a, a, what's called a scout out to meet you, a man called, who was well known there, called Joe Armstrong. But I'd never met Joe Armstrong before. And Joe Armstrong <laughs> had never met me. So the only time right. I got worried is when 10 minutes going into Manchester stationing, what if I don't see this man? Yeah. <laughs> what am I going to do? Now, look, you know, if he was an expert at uh, known lads coming off the train, right? there was no problem. But that was the only time I got worried on it. You know, when you, when you think of it, you think of it today, uh, you know, the, the, the clubs would, wouldn't, wouldn't be sending kids over on the boat. Uh, no, uh, they'd be surrounded by PR people and handlers of one sort or another, <laughs> yeah, and uh, yeah. they'd have an entourage. It didn't do me any good uh, as so an experience. I, I, funny enough, when I was doing it at the time, I wasn't scared at all. The only, yeah. as I said, the only time I got scared was coming into Manchester. If Joe Armstrong doesn't know me and I don't knew, know him, what am I going to do? But, but he, he recognised you. He knew me. He knew me, and, yeah, and, and uh, young I loved the time there for, for, the, for the month. Uh, it was a pre-season. It was a pre-season training time, Gary. Yeah. And there was a couple of lads. Tommy Hamilton, who was an Irish, an Irish lad uh, uh, from Bray, they came back to Shamrock. was a terrific player. And Liam Whelan, in particular, yeah. looked after me well. I must have been a pain. In, must have been a pain in the backside to them, uh, uh, Gary. To be quite honest, you know. But they were very. They were very good to me, you know.
Yeah, well, you were just a young lad. I mean, obviously, they were Liam Whelan and uh, and so on. And the other uh, other older players were already fairly established. But uh, uh, you, I think you, you mentioned that Liam Whelan always looked out for you, and he was he was good that way. Yeah, well, well, Tommy Hamilton was. Did two of them looked out for me while I was there? Um, and uh, the following year, actually, Tommy Hamilton. By the time I went on a permanent basis, Tommy Hamilton had come back to Shamrock Rovers. Was a terrific player with Shamrock. What happened in those days? He was called up for the army. You were, you were, you were, you could be called up for the army in those days, and uh, he, he, he wasn't getting near the first team. So he, I think Tommy decided he'd rather go home and play for Shamrock Rovers, which he did, and was a brilliant player for them. So the when I went over the next year, Tommy had gone, but Liam Whelan obviously was still there, and Liam was very good to me. I mean, he was, he, he was in the first team. I don't, I, I, I see him only every so often, but he was, he always looked out for me. He was very, he was very good to me. Okay, and what was the, the the culture of Manchester United like at that time? It was the, obviously the Busby era, and there was a lot of uh, a lot of very very good young players, and presumably you, you, you saw them all. Uh, what what were your impressions of people like Duncan Edwards and and Bobby Charlton and these guys? Well, I used to, well this was pre season training, so I used to watch the practice matches. You know, the first team versus the second team, uh, and I think Duncan Edwards was in the army at that time. The player that stood out to me more than anybody else was Bobby Charlton. Now, Bobby was only, I think he was only 17 at that time, 17, 18. And when the first team played the second team in the, in the practice match, uh, Bobby didn't get on until halftime. There was, this, you see, there were so many good players in Busby Babe time, Gary, that Bobby Charlton was an outstanding player. But there were so many terrific players that Bobby could only get on at halftime. But I used to watch the matches, and he stood out to me, Bobby did. This is above all the other players, Eddie Coleman and uh, Tommy Taylor and Dennis Voilet, Johnny Baird. These were all terrific players. But Bobby, Bobby at that age even, was, was I thought was outstanding. And what did he have, uh, John, that, that was particularly outstanding for you? Um, well, first of all, he had great pace. He was a great dribbler of the ball and he had a fantastic shot in both feet. In both feet. So he, 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 like when he was dribbling with the ball, he could go either way. Uh, and uh, he scored. Like if you go back to on his career later on, when he when he finished his career, I think he scored two hundred and seventy goals for Manchester United as a midfield player. He was a genuine midfield player. I mean, there was lads later on like Steven Gerrard and Frank Lampard who scored a lot of goals from midfield, but they weren't midfield players in the sense that Bobby Charlton was. You know, Bobby was a, oh, he was he was Bobby was unbelievable. Um, so he stood out at that particular Dennis Voiley there were some great players in the Manchester United team at that time Our health service is here for you this winter and we're taking every step to protect you from COVID-19 Our services are open and working from routine appointments to urgent care Remember to check your prescriptions and keep a list of your medicines handy and look out for your Keeping Well This Winter booklet in the post Visit hse.ie or call HSE Live on 1850-24-1850 for more information from the HSE. Your free travel card can be used on all Expressway coach services. Despite restrictions, we're staying on the road. Whether you need to attend a medical appointment or for any other essential journey, remember to travel with Expressway. Expressway. Keeping Ireland connected.
Here's your chance to win a top-of-the-range smartphone, a Doro 8050, designed specifically for seniors. Doro are market leaders in creating phones with clearer sound and larger text, one that's protected if it falls or can alert others if you do, and makes staying in touch with family and friends simple and enjoyable. Doro helped to make ageing an independent, secure and rich part of life. As you know, age is just a number. All you need to do to win a Doro smartphone is go to the website seniortimes.ie and follow the instructions. The lucky winner will be announced on the Senior Times Facebook page. Doro Phones, making technology easy for all. Say hello to our Premium Plus e-paper bundle, the interactive replica edition of the Irish Independent, Sunday Independent and The Herald. Every paper, every day, delivered to your tablet, phone or desktop for less than €3.50 per week. Subscribe at independent.ie. Up close and independent. So you were there, obviously, uh, around the time of, of Munich then. That must have been an extraordinarily strange experience for you, John. Yeah, well, it was very, very sad. This was, uh, this was a few years on where I, I was, I'd signed pro at this stage. This was 1958. I signed pro in uh, November 57. And... Uh, I was I was then training every day at the club. Now I, I I was a little bit lost to be quite honest at that time, Gary, because there was such a big staff of players, a lot of experienced players at it, you know. And I was a young fella, um, and I was I was only I mean the, 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 I wasn't in the first team dressing room, which and hardly ever went in the first team dressing room only to get autographs, and I was scared stiff going in there. So it it. Um, I found it difficult before the Munich air disaster. Uh, when they had the Munich air disaster, I was only in, I was in the B team, I think. And uh, I wasn't close to, to, I was fairly close with Liam Whelan, who unfortunately died in that. But Duncan Edwards and Eddie Coleman and these, I wouldn't have been close with them at all, Gary. Mm. Hardly saw yeah. them, you know? Yeah. But it was a very sad time because obviously uh, I, was, I was in digs uh, at the time and, and Actually, for those that, because I was a Manchester United player, going to funerals all the time. Yeah, you were effectively representing the club at, at all of these funerals, a young man without uh, any particular uh, backup or any. There was none. There was no counselling, and there was none of any of that no. kind of stuff at that time. It must have no. been that no. must have been tough. Yeah, it was. Um, I, I think when you're young, you don't. You, I didn't know about counselling. You just got on with it and did what you had to do. I mean, I, I was, I mean, we, 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 a few of us went over. Joe Carlin was an Irish lad who had joined the club as well. Went over to Dublin for Liam Whelan's funeral, uh, you know, which was a very, very sad occasion, obviously. But I think when you're young, you don't realise how uh, sad it is or, or, or important that you're going to funerals. And it, 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 I'd have to say, I don't think it affected me, you know, Certainly not in the long term. You just, you just, I just did what I had to do, which was to go to funerals, stay away from the ground for two weeks before before they went back and uh, started training again. You left Manchester United in 1963. Um, a lot's been written about it. Uh, did you? Would you describe it as falling out with Matt Busby, or was it just purely a footballing thing, or what? Well, it was a bit of a fallout, but mostly on football, uh, Gary. 1962. I was playing in the cup semi-final against the great Spurs team with Danny Blanchflower, Dave McKay and John White and Cliff Jones and these guys. And I was playing in the important position 
of the middle of midfield. Bobby Charlton actually was on the left wing. And I had a terrible game, Gary. I was I played very, very badly. Giles, you're having a terrible game. I find it hard to believe, Giles. <laughs> no, I, <did. laughs> I don't we believe beat, it. We, we were beaten 3-1. Yeah. Terrible. And I think what had happened, Gary, I was only 21 at the time. And uh, I, I, I thought I could do more than I could. In other words, I was trying to... Actually, I saw Johnny Haynes playing, who was a great midfield player. For Fulham, and, yeah. Uh, for Fulham. He was a great midfield player. I saw him playing one night. And he was all over the pitch. He didn't stay in the inside right position, inside left. And at that stage, I thought I could do that, which I tried to do. But I found after that particular match, I was only 21. I wasn't ready for it, Gary. Yeah. I wasn't ready for it. And uh, I had a terrible match. And uh, funny enough, from then on, Matt seemed to lose confidence in me. Yeah. You know, he sort of wrote me off. I played the rest of the season. I, even on the phone, I couldn't do right for wrong. You know, if I went inside, sure. I should have gone out, should have done this and that. So I knew he'd lost confidence in me. He never, he never said anything after the match. Normally, you know, a manager would come to you and say, look, I know you had a bad game or this, that. Nothing. No. Nothing. Just wrote me off. Signed Dennis Law in the summer, uh, that summer. And I played then on the right wing for most of the time. The next year, which was 1960, uh, sorry, that was in 1962, 63. Yeah. Dennis Law played and uh, at that in that match, but I played mostly, nearly all the time on the right wing, and then even in that year, I couldn't do right for doing wrong. If I went I inside, did, I should have go outside. And that must have been difficult for you psychologically to deal with all of that stuff. It was given very that you, yeah, yeah, given that you are such a, a a good footballer and such a good football background and so on, and all of a sudden you were in a kind of situation where you were feeling you weren't really feeling the love, and you were kind of feeling under pressure. Very, very much so. I played in the semi final cup we won, and on a Monday night we we're playing. And again, on the morning of the match, he called me over and I knew he was leaving me out. Well, yeah. before he could ask me how I played, I asked him how I played. <laughs> and he, he said, I thought you played reasonably well. I said, well, if I played reasonably well in the semi-final of the cup, which we won, I think I should be playing tonight. Now, a this quick, was, a quick learner, John. Very, yeah, well, this was, this, was, this was bad news with Matt Busby. Do you know what I mean? Mm, yeah, but I thought, I'd, I'd had enough of it at that stage. And okay. actually, I, I, somebody got in. I played in the cup final against uh, Leicester, which you won, yeah. And we won, and I played. I played well, uh, but it, it, I knew, I knew it was time to go. Sure, the manager sure. loses confidence in you, yeah. Uh, you know, despite the fact that I played in in the cup final, um, and you see, there was lots of things about Manchester United. Nobody leaves Manchester United as well. Uh, you know, Matt Busby is a great manager. Well, which he was. Matt Burns was one of the great managers of all time. But I, I was looking at from my own point of view. I thought, well, like, I can't stick another year of this. If a manager loses confidence in you, Gary, he loses confidence. It's a terrible position to be in. So I yeah. felt it was best to leave Manchester United. Didn't you have an issue with, with, with Matt as well? Yeah, well, I, I did. But I didn't leave over money. You know what I mean, Gary? Sure, sure. But, yeah. but, but I, I felt that... Uh, uh, like Manchester United and Bus Busby had this great name, which he was a great man, great great uh, great manager for Manchester United. But before the maximum wage was abolished, uh, Matt used to have a meeting with the players every so often, and he said, "This maximum wage is ridiculous, lads. You should all be on a hundred quid a week, which is a lot of money then." Mm -hmm. And when the maximum wage was abolished prematurely, Matt's first offer was twenty-five quid a week, and a five appearance money. Yeah. 
that was his, that was his first offer. So I did confront him a little bit about. It. I knew I was wasting my time. Yeah. Uh, but I, I did confront him, and and Matt was never lost his temper, you know. Mm. But he had these blue eyes. Uh, if you if you got annoyed, he got bluer and bluer. <laughs> and I, I was challenging him over the, the 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 increase in the wages, right? Yeah. And I was the last person in the world now that he wanted to be talking to about money, you know. Mm. And as I and I, I and he said, well, I think the club have been generous. We give us in, in a. And I said, I don't think so. And uh, I know players in other clubs that are getting twice as much as I am. Yeah. And he said, well, you find out the exceptions in their club. I said, but this is Manchester United. Now, this was cheek. This was cheek to Matt Busby. Uh, and you went uh, to Leeds United uh, of um, the second division. Uh, and I know your dad, Dickie, asked you, do you think it was a, a particularly good idea? Yeah. Which... Obviously, it was a good idea for you for for good and sound footballing reasons. You, when you got to Leeds, uh, John, can I ask you what was the culture under under Don Reedy at Leeds? Uh, John was player manager there, and there was a lot of bad lads there when he was playing. He got rid of them and he brought these young lads in. There was a great work ethic. There was a great togetherness about it. You know, like Manchester United were a great team, but they weren't together in in the way that these lads were together. They were only starting. You know. When you when you go get a transfer, Gary, uh, it's in the lap of the gods. I was very lucky. I, I picked Leeds because they had a, they had a good run in the, from Christmas to the end of the season, where they almost got promotion. Bobby Collins was there, who I thought was a great player, and I played against him. And I thought if Bobby Collins is there, they must be going in the right direction. That's why I went. But it was a gamble. Nobody knows when they move. And luckily yeah. enough, it turned out right for me. But when I got there, there was a great work ethic. Uh, there was a great togetherness. There was a great team spirit, uh, and that was it. I, I felt very much at home when I went uh, to Leeds. Now, when you were at Leeds, obviously Leeds turned into you know pretty much the, the one of the top teams, and you were up at the top for a very long time, mm. and you won a lot when you were there. Uh, mm. I think you won two championships and, and an FA Cup and a League Cup and two Fairs Cups. Yeah. Uh, and so now some people, as you know, uh, feel that Leeds might have won more. Do you think that that's, that's unfair or do you think that there's, there's any truth in that? Well, I think it's reasonable for people to say that. But what, what I would say in our defence was that, you know, we say, oh, you're finished runners-up. But actually, in the time that uh, Revy was competing with Bill Shankly as a manager... Revy won when they both retired at the same time, but they both won the, se the same amount of major trophies. Mm. You know what I mean? Sure, now, sure. We could have won more than we did, Gary, but you'd have to look at the, the successes yeah. as well as what's regarded as the failures. You were, obviously the Leeds team had a reputation for being physically robust, uh, I think mm. it would be fair to say. And now yeah. the reality, of course, for all teams at that stage, uh, and you know better than I do because you played in it, that they were very football was tough, and a lot of teams had a fair few guys who could who who knew their way around your shins. <laughs> you yourself uh, had 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 a kind of career threatening injury uh, that you got at Birmingham, isn't that right? Oh, well, I got one at Birmingham, Manchester United, and what happened then at, at Leeds? We played at Chelsea when Eddie McCready. Yeah. Caught me with a terrible tackle. The ball had been delivered tomorrow. I saw Norman getting a shot of goals when he tackled me. But in those days, you see, Gary, you, you alluded to it there. Everybody had tough guys. There was there was no protection from referees at all. 
Like if you to get a yellow card, you have to commit grievous bodily harm. That's what I found myself in at that particular yeah. time. And after the Eddie McCready situation, I decided I'm not going to have this anymore. I'm yeah. not going to be a target. I'm going to give give more than I get. So to to allow me to play because I was regarded as a small guy, regarded yeah. as a, as, a, as a skillful player, and I wasn't going to have it. But every team, you see, they talk about Leeds. Leeds were very very successful at that time, and of course they did get stuck in. But so did the other teams against yeah. us. And we I weren't know. going to give in against anybody. <laughs> but we had, you go to Burnley and you, they had f- 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 loads of, O'Neill and, and loads of players. They all had three or four players. Yeah. You go to Everton, Jimmy Gabriel, Sandy yeah. Brown, Jimmy Morrissey. They're, these were, I could name them all. Yeah. Every team had them. <laughs> They're had obviously them. etched in your mind, John. <laughs> well, yeah, of course. And machines. And you <laughs> Say hello to Independent Weekend Home Delivery. Save up to 40% with the Irish Independent and Sunday Independent delivered to your door every weekend. Plus, enjoy premium access to independent.ie and read our interactive e-paper edition all week long. All from just €5 per week. Search for Independent Home Delivery now. Your free travel card can be used on all Expressway coach services. Despite restrictions, we're staying on the road. Whether you need to attend a medical appointment or for any other essential journey, remember to travel with Expressway. Expressway. Keeping Ireland connected. Here's your chance to win a top-of-the-range smartphone, a Doro 8050, designed specifically for seniors. Doro are market leaders in creating phones with clearer sound and larger text, one that's protected if it falls or can alert others if you do, and makes staying in touch with family and friends simple and enjoyable. Doro helped to make ageing an independent, secure and rich part of life. As you know, age is just a number. All you need to do to win a Doro smartphone is go to the website seniortimes.ie and follow the instructions. The lucky winner will be announced on the Senior Times Facebook page. Doro Phones, making technology easy for all. Our health service is here for you this winter and we're taking every step to protect you from COVID-19. Our services are open and working from routine appointments to urgent care. Remember to check your prescriptions and keep a list of your medicines handy. And look out for your Keeping Well This Winter booklet in the post. Visit hse.ie or call HSE Live on 1850 24 1850 for more information. From the HSE. Can I ask you, John, just generally as an Irishman living in England at, at that time, you mentioned in your book that you that you were living in Birmingham around, you know, the time of the, of the, of the pub bombings and so on. Uh, what was that like for you? Is it a strange kind of uh, sense of, of, of uh, did you ever feel that you yourself were being kind of blamed or, or did you? No. Did you never no. had any of that? No. 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 From the time I went to England, Gary, mm. I never had any, any trouble, anti-Irish thing. Now, I was a footballer, but, but I, I, I actually worked in a factory in Manchester for a year. My father thought it was a good idea to get a trade. So I was mix, mixing with ordinary Manchester lads in it. And funny enough, when I went, I, I had my broad Dublin accent and they couldn't understand the word I said. And I couldn't understand the word they said. So I didn't know how I was going to get on. But anyway, we got used to each other. So I worked for a year with ordinary lads in Manchester. Mm. No problem whatsoever. I went to Leeds, no problem whatsoever. I went to Birmingham four or five months after the Birmingham bombing. Nothing. Yeah. Nothing. 
No, I, I, I've lived a long time, lived a long time in England, uh, and I had no problems whatsoever. I had nothing but, but affection and, and, and for, for, for people that I met, English people that I met uh, in England. Of course, there's some bad guys, you know, some bad guys everywhere. Yeah, but yeah. The, the people I came across, um, were, 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 I, I, I couldn't speak high, highly enough about them. And can I ask you as well, John, the, um, in your book you're talking about, you know, being one of the, uh, considered to be, you know, one of the corner boys who went up to Dalyman Park and so on. Mm. Uh, and this idea of the kind of the, 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 the class thing uh, in mm. football, I always found it very uncomfortable. Uh, I mean, I am quote unquote come from, you know, the middle class and yet by the time I got to 12, I, I kind of was, was more or less being told that rugby really was the game for middle class boys. And I always fe felt very, very uncomfortable about that idea. How did you feel about, about, about the idea that somehow football was, was, a, was, was a kind of a corner boys game? Did that annoy you? Um, well, well, my, my first thing, objection to it, first of all, it wasn't, it wasn't the rugby crowd that I got marched from. It was the Gaelic crowd. And my teachers at Brunner, Brunswick Street uh, School, yeah. uh, a lad, man called Boxer Murphy particularly, um, was, it was, and I played Gaelic. I loved playing Gaelic uh, for the school. Uh, but, but it was very, very, among a lot of the teachers, very anti-soccer. Uh, I remember when I went to England when I was 14, and came back. It was in the papers that I'd been to Manchester United, uh, and Boxer Murphy was the name of the teacher. Got me out in front of the class one day, you know, saying, you know, and and he says, "You land up." I, I had I had I done some homework in my uh, English book instead of the uh, arithmetic book. Okay. But, do you know what I mean? It was just a silly thing, but I but yeah. in the papers. So he wanted. I think he wanted to show me up. He pulled me out in front of two classes to say, you know, uh, and he says, you think you're going to go to England and play soccer. You, you land up like all, all those, uh, yeah, he land up like all those corner boys going up to Daly Mount. And to be honest, uh, I didn't know what a corner boy was. <laughs> so it was somebody time. who defended at the near post I, or the bowls. I, re I really didn't. I didn't know what he was talking about. And I was only a kid. Yeah. But yeah. there was definitely that. Now that's a long time ago, and th yeah. times have changed to, mm. for the better, I think. But in time, now I was going to school in you know late forties, early fifties, where there was a very, very anti-soccer situation. Yeah. I actually, know guys could be. If guys you were caught, be... if you, actually, if a gaily glad was caught at a soccer match, he was suspended for life. Well, Liam Brady, it happened to Liam Brady. I know. Liam was suspended. Was was thrown out of school for because the, I think he was picked for the Irish international team under fifteen. And there was a Gaelic match on the same day. That's and, right. Uh, he didn't play in the Gaelic match. I know. And he didn't play in the Gaelic match. You know? So it was, and that was that was fourteen years after me. So it was it was pretty pretty bad. There's one other question that I wanted to ask you as well. You were there at Manchester United briefly when George Best uh, was there. Yeah. Uh, and initially he didn't make any great impression, but then things changed quite quickly. Oh, George, yeah, well, George was, became one of the great players. He, 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 was, he was absolutely brilliant. I played two matches with George before I left Old Trafford, both of them in the reserves, and he was mm. just coming on. Uh, yeah. I think he was only 17. And he, in those two matches, he just played okay. But by sure. Christmas, he got into the first team. And by the end of the season, he was, he was just a, a, a star. And what Star. kind of a lad was he? Uh, he seems to, have, in many respects, have been a very charming, nice, quite gentle lad. Is that, yeah. is that true? Or he was just a very quiet lad. 
I think he, mm. he was very unlucky, Gary, that he came to, 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 to the fore, to, 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 to greatness, at a time when Britain changed in a big way. Yeah. He came around 1961, uh, 62, a time of the Beatles. And Matt Busby was an old-fashioned manager. George was left to his own devices because Matt Busby didn't see, in my opinion, I'm not blaming Matt Busby, didn't see the changes that were happening. Now, George was in digs. This is yeah. the time of the Beatles. People could not go and knock at his door. You know what I mean? And he was, was no only pre- 17 years of age. He was only and-, se- and, and, and he became he became an overnight sensation, Georgie. He was a good-looking lad. He was like the Beatles. The Beatles were in the time. Times had changed in Britain. And George was 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 definitely part of that, with no protection yeah. to him. There was no protection for Georgie. Uh, did you find that having a family very grounding for you as a footballer? Oh yeah, yeah, very yeah. much so, very much so. Yeah, I was uh, um, I, I, I was very lucky to have a, have a family. I, but a bit selfish as well, Gary. Football came first and everything. To be honest, I yeah. was very lucky sure. with Anne, and 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 understood that. But football, to me, I, I I had this thing from the time I was a kid. I had to do what I had to do in football, and uh, like I, I would, I, I definitely put football first at a time, probably when I should have been putting family first. In terms of say, when the kids were sick on a Friday night, I had to go into hotel. Yeah, I had to, you know, I had to get a good night's sleep, uh, and I was very lucky. I, I understood that. Yeah, and that, that was just the way. It was the way life was. That's the, the way, way it was. was. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 Uh, and you, you come back to, to, to Dublin a lot, obviously. You do a lot of media work here. Uh, and so, wh- when you, do you ever go back to Overman Square? Do you, do you ever just have nostalgia, or, or do you, are you a nostalgia kind of guy? I've been back a couple of times, uh, Gary. I think the council there about 10 years ago put a plaque down for me. Oh, that's right. You're one yeah. of the only two people in Dublin who've got a plaque after them. The other one is Patrick O'Connell. Is that right? Is that uh, right? Well, well I it was. It was ironic, uh, uh, Gary, because I, I, they had a, the plaque near near where I live, just uh, on the square, and just down from the the, the, the plaque there was a big sign: "No football allowed." <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant! That's fantastic, John. That, that's ultimate ultimate irony. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, listen, it's been absolutely fantastic talking to you, John. And thank you, Gary, and uh, I hope you're going well, Gary, and get over this. Uh, virus situation um, I'm sure it's not easy for you in your job doing what you have to do but it's, it's a pleasure talking to you Gary and I love talking to people who have an interest in the game and that was Johnny Giles and I must say I hugely enjoyed talking to John I frequently wondered what I uh, was thinking when I became an actor comedian type especially for somebody in their 50s While everybody else of my age is now sensibly settled and looking forward to retirement, I still do play acting and sometimes I wonder about the wisdom of that. But then again, in what other job would I go over for coffee in the canteen and bump into a football icon? It was an absolute pleasure to talk to the great John Giles. This Senior Times podcast was produced by Simon Murta and engineered by Mark Murphy.